Welcome to Chronically Fully Sick, Episode 9. Wow. We, Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we're recording today on the stolen lands of the Guana and Gulen Nations. Sovereignty was never ceded and this was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello. Welcome to Chronically Fully Sick, Episode 9. Um, I'm Joanna Nilsson. I have an extremely painful chronic illness called fibromyalgia and probably a bunch of other stuff I need to investigate, but I can't be bothered because I'm too tired and sick. <clears throat> I am the beast oh, yeah. of this podcast, and with me is the woman I've trapped in my extravagant and ridiculous podcast, Castle, the beauty herself, <laughs> fellow fibromyalgia sufferer, Chloe Sargent. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you made me the bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god. Um, wow. So if you want to get. <laughs> oh dear. Um, mm. So if you want to get updates on us and Chronically Fully Sick, you can do that on Twitter at Sick, Instagram at Chronically Fully Sick. We have a group on Facebook, which just reached a thousand people, which is pretty cool. Very um, cool. And you can get in touch with us via our website, chronicallyfullysick.com or chronicallyfullysick at gmail.com. And, you know, like I've got beef with our listeners, Chloe, because they won't review us or rate us and we give them all of this excellent well-researched well-thought-out <laughs> content <laughs> yes that, for uh, yes we peer-reviewed research that is uh, just <laughs> factual and serious and no one will give us reviews for our very important content like um, please you guys this is i mean yeah. <sighs> i don't know what else i can do for you people what do you want from me <laughs> What do, you, what do you want from me? We've bought USB microphones that we talk into I know. and give to you. No, we're, we're joking, but please do uh, rate, review and subscribe because we are very professional podcasters. Do you know um, how much White Claw I have to drink to do this podcast? <laughs> do you know how much White Claw I have to drink to forget about doing this podcast? Mm. <laughs> and, mm, it we stays with me forget it every time oh speaking of drinking okay so yeah i went out on friday night which is quite rare um and mm-hmm. we're allowed to do that now in this this town um Congrats. My, yeah thank you um friend of the pod daphne had a gig on the back of a truck oh cool we, we get our goths off the back of trucks here in melbourne um <laughs> they're all stolen they're all stolen by the mafia <laughs> yeah. yeah um import them all so i put on a velvet um, you know, ox blood colored jumpsuit and a pair of Christian Dior sunnies from the seventies. You know, rocked along in some ridiculous Lanvin, yeah, pretty vintage yeah. espadrilles from the seventies. Now that will sound like French to some of you out there, but I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, pretty classic Joe stuff, just yeah. There. To be honest, yeah. and I fell over on Brunswick Street, which is a quite a popular street in Melbourne, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So, quite twice. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> twice. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, Joe uh, sent me a message uh, with a photo of the shoes that she was wearing and I went, mate, I don't know how you do this anymore. And she's like, well, I am more sort of wearing 
you know, big faux fur jackets and heels and I'm a bit more like wearing stupid heels more so than you, Chloe. And I was like, that is true. That is very much your aesthetic, Joe. I bring this up because um, I didn't hurt myself when I fell over at all. Um, Hmm. And I think because of having a broken leg for a while, I've kind of learnt how to fall over properly. Yeah, this has confused me. The way you phrased it to me as well, like, was the I cackled out loud when you sent me. Yeah, continue. Explain to the listeners how you fall. <laughs> well, because I had, yeah, a broken leg for about a year because it didn't heal. Um, and falling over would put me really in the shit. So mm. I've learned how to fall over properly from watching, I guess, a lot of alcoholics fall down the stairs. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and the trick is to just go limp. So I tripped over and just ended up flat on my back. Yeah. Um, so outside. she doesn't put her hands out no, no, no. to like break her fall or anything. She basically goes, oh, no, I am falling and just goes limp. Yes. It's one of the strangest things. That I, <laughs> like when I try to imagine it in my head, how she does it, she just like falls down like a puppet. Yeah. And it's just very strange. It's like very a, mar- weird. a marionette that's lost its, like had its strings cut or whatever. Yeah. That someone's just dropped. So I'm like full on my back outside of the Korean supermarket next Mm. to a garbage bin. um, looking Where we belong. Yeah, looking at the 86 tram coming along. But yeah, not a bruise, not a broken bone. And the arse on my uh, jumpsuit stayed intact. So here we are. Quite amazing. So the uh, go limp advice seems to have worked out in your favor Mm. at this point that's my tip to everyone go limp go limp go limp it's just that's it's that simple you are a dipshit (laughs) a beautiful beautiful dipshit Uh, (laughs) oh my gosh um all right so it is a sunday afternoon when we're recording um, yes. Now you wanted to just quickly speak about someone that did leave us a while ago. Um, yeah. So yeah. before we uh, dive into what our our main topic of um, this episode, which is wellness in the wellness mm. industry, mm. Um, before that, uh, I'd like to acknowledge that the day that we're recording this, it's actually six years since the um, the absolutely incredible Stella Young passed away. Mm-hmm. So if um if you're not familiar with Stella Young, and I'm I'm sure a lot of our Australian listeners will be, but mm-hmm. overseas perhaps not. Um, Stella was a journalist, a comedian, and a disability rights activist in Australia. Um, she was the editor of um a vertical called Ramp Up, which was on the ABC, our national broadcaster. And um, she was born with um, something called osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, So she used a wheelchair um, and, yeah, she was just one of the most amazing disability rights activists that we've realistically ever had um, in Australia. True. Um, So, yeah, she she passed away six years ago and the impact that she's had on disability rights and the disabled community here is just indescribable. Immeasurable, Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, if you're... If you're not familiar with Stella's work, I highly recommend you go and um, look it up because it's it taught me a lot when I first started getting sick about uh, internalized ableism that I was putting on myself and maybe putting on other people that I hadn't realized that I was doing. And uh, one of her main things that she put out into the world was that she sort of really made the concept of inspiration porn a 
uh, like sort of a well-known concept. Mm. Um, so she did a TED talk called I'm Not Your Inspiration. Thank you very much. Um, and it's all about how people uh, like non-disabled people will for some reason view people with disability as uh, like this bizarre inspiring sort of thing. And mm. one of my friends summed it up really well to me um, who is a wheelchair user and she sort of said, when I do something inspiring, that's when I'm inspiring. But me just going to work every day and doing something that's just an everyday kind of thing and then people tell me I'm inspiring, that's such bullshit. That's inspiration mm. porn. I'm not being inspiring in that moment. I'm just going about my life. So paternalistic um, and shitty. Yeah. So it's sort of like, you know, putting that like onus on people and sort of, um, yeah, trying to make it sound like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you're, you know, still getting up every day when you live with this thing. It's it's just ableism, everyday ableism kind of thing. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Stella Young's TED Talk um, or read any of her writing, highly recommend you go and uh, look it up because it is I, – I, I, I view it as a really sort of life-changing moment for me in terms of my really sort of acknowledging my internalised ableism and uh, turning that around when I started uh, getting sick myself. So. Yes, I just wanted to let you guys know and um, commemorate you, the beautiful and wonderful Stella Young. May she rest in peace. Alrighty, shall we delve into this Ugh. big, big, big topic? Yes, moving on. Um, as some listeners will know, we have, let's say, a fly in our ointment. I don't know. And the ointment is hmm. medicine? Snake oil. Oh, okay. No, it's the opposite thing. Oh, shit. Um, I'm so confused about what the metaphor was that you were going for. So then. am I. Mm. Um, we hate wellness, basically. What? Not. I love being well. I hate the wellness industry. Yes. And it being a multi-billion dollar industry that seems to just take money away from chronically ill and disabled people that usually don't have a lot of money anyway. So Yeah, a lot of you will be familiar with this through our um, segment that we do occasionally, Quack Watch, and our mm. repeated mentions of he who shall not be named mm. um, in this podcast. So there's um, – Chloe sent to me a message saying, you know, there's a wellness documentary you should watch on Netflix. And I sent her back a screenshot yesterday and I was kind of like, dude, which one? <laughs> yeah. So she sent me a, like a screenshot of her like screen with Netflix up and she just typed wellness in as a search term. And mm. it basically just came up with an entire page of, of random like documentary series, like dramatized series, like all of these different things. And but um, the one that I was talking about is a um, I thought it was a documentary at first, but it's actually a documentary series called Unwell. Mm. Um, and so each episode is about a different aspect of the uh, wellness sort of industry that um is pushed by people who uh like people like you know Chef Peter Evans and no. <laughs> No, it's like in I'm 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 comfortable with saying the name oh. Lord Voldemort. I'm comfortable with saying it. We give him too much power when we do not name him. He yeah, so basically this this series like focuses on a bunch of different things that you know when you're sort of talking to an able-bodied person about your condition or whatever you're uh, sort of experiencing at the time, whatever symptom it is, and they go, "Oh, have you tried 
uh, you know, yoga, yoga. or you fa- have you tried fasting? Have you tried essential oils? Have you tried this, that, the other? Mm. Basically, every single one of these episodes is about a different one of those. Mm. Um, so there's some pretty far out ones and then mm. there's some really common ones. Like the first episode is about essential oils and Ugh. I found that episode, wow, just like and none of it was surprising to me, but no. at the same time, I just was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with these people? Like, for instance, <laughs> I didn't watch all of them because we ran mm. out of time because no, we're woefully them. unprepared. Um, we are. Again, professional podcasters. <laughs> um, I did see the essential oil one and the guy that owned the big company, I forget what it was, which is an MLM. Which Something is a- young. Yeah. It's like multi-level. called Young Living. Yeah, Young Living. Multi-level Young marketing living. scheme, which has a, you know, class action lawsuit against it at the moment. Huge um, one. Huge one. That yeah. dude. So he's. Of- yeah, continue. Sorry. he. Uh, so his story is, is that apparently he had some kind of spinal injury when he was quite young and was drinking lemon and water for a certain amount of. It was like 40 weeks days or months or something. or something. And then all of a sudden could move his feet again. Mm. And so, you know, obviously in his mind that was completely linked to him drinking lemon and water. It obviously wasn't. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, he's basically created this, like, multi-million dollar industry, which is about just selling essential oils and books and courses and all of that kind of stuff. He was injecting people intravenously, wasn't he, with essential oils. And there's this this footage of – because all of this is an MLM, which is a multi-level marketing scheme. Yeah, a pyramid pyramid scheme. Pyramid scheme. Um, and so he's arriving in, it's like a huge stadium arriving uh, with the the dogs on a sled. That scene. So basically it's like, you know, those like Christian, um, it's exactly, it's like uh, like televangelist, like, yeah, Hillsong kind of things where Mm. like this, this stage set up and presence of this is like, there's pyrotechnics and there's all of this. Like, have you ever seen the series uh, with Danny McBride called the Righteous Gemstones? Where he's oh, part no, of a televangelist family. It's, meant to be it's really so good. good. Yeah. It made me think of that because it was just like the pageantry of this was more mm. important than the actual message that they were selling. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was like one of those like televangelists, like full on like pyrotechnics and fireworks and all sorts of. And he arrived on stage at one point on a sled pulled by dogs. My and dream. it's just. Pure, <laughs> yes, the best way to travel, in my opinion, um, if you are OTT, um, like Joe. Um, mm. But, yeah, the um, yeah, the, it was just such pageantry and he was sort of saying, if you don't come to the convention, then you're only getting half the story and all of this kind of stuff. And it is selling this bizarre experience. But when you watch the amount of people that were mm. at that thing, it was unbelievable. Like, I was blown too. away. All women and mostly stay-at-home mums, which is something mm-hmm. they do go into in that episode, mm. that um, it's a lot of women sort of think that it's a way to empower themselves while they're a stay-at-home mum because they're going to make their own money and contribute towards the financial part of their household. Mm. And what actually ends up happening is that they're making, I think the episode said that the most common payment that they get is about a dollar a month. 90-something because percent they, of people, yeah. Yeah, because they actually have to buy a certain amount of essential oils per month themselves. Mm. So they end up usually actually losing money or just breaking even, Mm. which is, yeah, a pyramid scheme, obviously. 
I'm just going to say overall that, yeah, wellness as a movement seems to target cis women that are at home, Mm -hmm. sick people, obviously, um, and those can be the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And in addition, when you get into the more, let's say, esoteric outer far-flung parts of it, people that are kind Mm -hmm. of experiencing a knowledge crisis in the face of the chaos, the political chaos that we kind of find ourselves in. being the current landscape of just the whole world. (laughs) Yeah, being the fact that, like... Everyone feels lack of control. Sure. You know, people discrediting science, um, Mm -hmm. which is... Discrediting the media, the fake news kind of thing as well. Not even just discrediting, but the media itself and critical analysis within the media sort of vanishing just because of, you know, uh, conglomerate media takeovers and that kind of thing so to me there's sort of two sides to this discussion but we're sort of going to touch on both of them I guess yeah Mm. I think the other um thing that it seems to obviously it's yeah like you said it does target predominantly women because women are the ones who experience or cisgender women are the ones who experience um chronic illness the most um statistically Mm. but um yeah, it's. I think the other thing is, is that it it does end up targeting um, marginalized groups, especially mm. by uh, class and that kind of thing as well. Because when people don't have access to, like, particularly in America, if you are poor, you don't have access to great medical care and that kind mm. of stuff. The less access you have to proper medical care and that kind of stuff, the more desperate you become to. Mm make money to try cheaper things that are got that might help you and when you when you live with a condition that is you know chronic pain based and that kind of thing it just when it's 24 hours a day seven days a week just your all your life you end up doing things that you know if you if there's a semblance of a hope that this thing might just work or lessen your pain you're gonna try it because Mm. You know, that's within your financial reach most likely, whereas medical care in America is not. But that's – and to that, that's why people turn to religion as well, like Mm -hmm. to an extent. And that's why we're seeing echoes of it in, you know, the wellness superstars, you know, like this oil fella and, you know, several Mm. other people that have come to the forefront of this kind of stuff i mean i do want to mention as well to that class element a lot of wellness stuff and let's say folk remedies and that kind of thing that white people love to go and use you know came about not necessarily because they worked spectacularly again it's a lot of desperation that's come out of creating these things in the past you know, where people have been in a community and placed in this position um, where they don't have access to proper medical care because of dictatorships, sanctions, military regimes, I mean, feudalism as well, um, taking the place of actual medicine that wasn't available to them, not Mm. not necessarily because it was better or they had access to some sort of key, you know, to this knowledge that that we don't have because of our absence of uh, certain yeah. elements of culture i think the um the thing about the beasting so uh, to give a bit of a backstory so there's another episode of this unwell series that um is about beasting therapy which is not one that's ever really come up for me i'm not no. sure if it's a bigger thing in america but i've never um, heard of it no so i 
the person, the people that they sort of focus on in this episode have Lyme disease, which is something that's not recognised in Australia um, mm. as a legitimate disease. Mm. Um, basically, they essentially just get live bees and get them to sting you at certain points, which for some people it's uh, they'll sting you at areas of inflammation, like with arthritis and things like that. And then mm-hmm. for other people, it's sort of similarly to acupuncture at certain points and that kind mm-hmm. of thing to help with certain things. But I was the thing that I was really blown away by at this um, in this episode was that like they showed sort of like Egyptian, um, ancient Egyptian drawings and that kind of stuff of bees stinging people. Um, in that kind of thing, so it was like something that does have a sort of long history with yeah, but they also kind of stuff. they also chucked a hook up your nose when you were dead and pulled your brains yeah. out and put it in a jar. Yeah, but you, you know how much I like love mummies, a... Chloe. I know you do. You really do love mummies. Um, it is like so. It's something that it has existed for a really, really long time. But mm. the thing that got me was that. These people that were going to this thing called like the heel hive um, and that kind of thing was just like this super Instagram friendly bee sting therapy like retreat it was called. And yeah, it was like it cost thousands of dollars and all of the people there were sort of white women that had were like, oh, I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands on treating this and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like. This is one of the most inaccessible things I could ever see in my... And so it's like they've just monetized this into, like, this Instagram influencer-friendly, like, retreat. Gross. And it's... Yeah, I was just... That's like a next-level thing of using sick people to make money. It's not only ripping money out of their hands, it's using them as a prop for a fucking picture. Absolutely. And so it's just like it's all like they pose for Instagram photos and stuff like that. And it's uh, honestly watching that really blew my mind because I was Mm. like that goes beyond the sort of snake oil helping people thing. They still do that, obviously, but it's taking it to this next level of like, you know, or it's like the Instagram aesthetics of the logo and all of that kind of stuff. And like you could see when they were going to these events that – the way that the table placements were were set out in a way that people could Instagram their their visit and their dinner and all of that kind of stuff. And I was just like, this is like chronic illness influencer culture. This is mm. bizarre. This is something I've never seen before. Mm. And it was all all about bees stinging you, which mm. has no scientific basis whatsoever, apart from the fact that if you one of your body's reactions to getting a bee sting is to release cortisol into your system, which can help you. But it Which is a is... steroid that you get injected in you well, if you, yeah. I don't know, sprain your shoulder or something like that. Yeah, but people, people with a lot of different types of arthritis can just get cortisol eject- injections mm. um, in certain areas, which is like 100 times more effective or something. So yeah, it's just like... get a... Yeah. <laughs> It's the same. It's the same thing, you know. Like, be right back. I'm rather... just gonna go pick a bee off my lavender bush and sting yeah. my neck with it. And a bee doesn't have to die for you getting a cortisol injection. Exactly. That's the and other just... thing. Like we're fucked yeah. with bees. We need bees. They're all dying. We need the bees. I know. <laughs> it was just. Uh, yeah, I watched that episode, and by the end of it, I was like, "What just happened?" Like, mm. I've been recommended a lot of bizarre stuff over the years for chronic illness like 
you know, people claiming things will cure my chronic illness, you know, like drinking my own piss and things like that. But mm. I've never in my life been told I wish you would stop to sting doing myself that. with bees. Makes your breath smell really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why we are uh, that's why we have to do this over Zoom. <laughs> I just I drink too much piss and no one will come around me. No, um no, I uh, never drank my own piss. Um just to clarify for everyone. I would just like to put it on the record. That if I never we get my own if piss. we get um twenty five star reviews and like oh people write reviews, I would drink my own piss. So, that can be our like if we ever like do a Patreon kind it of thing. Has it has to be, be like the, f- <laughs> the first tier is gonna be like we'll do an extra episode a month that you can access and the second tier will be like we'll drink a cup of our own piss. <laughs> No, we know what the people want. <laughs> mm. Delicious. Speaking Yummy. of, um, that's why I'm single now. <laughs> oh, but um, speaking of, uh, you know, just feeling comfortable and nice and that kind of thing. Mm. Um. Okay. Uh, I just feel like, I mean, you saw it in the episode where they were talking about aromatherapy. Mm, The problem kind of is, and the reason why all this stuff works is because it's like, it fills this gap, right? Between Mm. um, the the holistic approach that modern medicine is kind of missing, like it's clinical aspects um, and sort of environments and that kind of thing are not conducive to becoming well so you could see it when that fella in hospital was getting aromatherapy at the start of that episode yeah and he just had a lumbar surgery yes of some kind yeah um so i mean and you've experienced it as well modern medicine falls short so often with that lack of care and warmth Mm. and comfort and those things can make empathy as well yeah for sure and you could see him becoming better when this woman was paying attention to him and we all know that like you know smells elicit a huge um psychological reaction um we've all smelt it's also like memory and that kind of thing as well right exactly it's the strongest yeah a memory from being well, perhaps, you know, like you've yeah. all smelled the cologne of like an ex-partner or whatever and been snapped back mm. to that straight away. Totally. It's, so, but also, I mean, talk therapy, massage, animals mm. would all have the same, um, let's say, psychosomatic response, right? Sure. Even, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I thought when I was looking at him smelling those scents and them working on the... Um, young young lady with autism or whatever perhaps even yeah. smelling a pie cooking could have the same sort of psychosomatic oh, yeah. effects do you know what i mean like yeah. comfort and soothing and that kind of thing and to that extent you're so right it's very yeah. effective but mm. the difference is wellness is not medicine and that is the yeah. problem here with a, what yes. a lot of these people are saying um, I think that the danger of the wellness industry comes in with some of these people who are claiming that it will, you know, cure cancer and things like that. Like, and I, I get personally really upset by it because Same. my my granddad, who uh, was one of the closest people to me in my life, yeah. um, we had the same birthday. I loved him more than the entire world passed away about six years ago 
um, and he he had cancer for 11 years, a bunch of different types of cancer. And when he was going through chemotherapy and radiation and stuff like that, he he did get sucked in by a bunch of these people, like in terms of juice fasting stuff, in yeah. terms of like a, a couple of these different things. Because when you are sick and you are given a like basically a death note, like a death notice being like you've got this much time left, you you will do anything to try to extend that. You will mm. do anything. And I mm-hmm. saw my granddad do that and it was so heartbreaking. And so when people like this pop up that just prey on sick people like and fear which yeah. is what we've and seen think, with the con- what what do they call it cons conspirituality conspirituality yeah, yeah people it's preying on think, sickness and fear yeah and i think that's why i got so upset as well when with the peter evans bullshit um and he was it was the neo nazi stuff that made him lose all of his um stuff which is fair enough like you know once you're a nazi you're done but i i just didn't get why people hadn't been angry at him for a longer period of time like we have when all he's done is prey on sick people you Mm. know like it's he's one of these people like bell gibson and that kind of thing as well like i hate i hate it so much and it makes me so upset it's that notion of like also from a public perspective the i think there's less outrage because there's it's like when we talk about poor people, right? And it's kind of the same mm. thing. There's the virtuous sick people and the deserving mm-hmm. sick people and the people that are sick and they're, they're not. So because we don't have sure. necessarily, you know, diagnoses that diagnose, whatever. Diagnoses. Diagnoses that people can understand. This kind of stuff just goes under the radar a bit. Do you know what I mean? For sure, yeah. Um, And to what you were saying about, you know, some of the fascist right-wing tendencies Mm. coming out from some of these people, as we can see with the reaction to coronavirus and what 5G or whatever, um, this kind of stuff actually isn't new. Um, The link between New Age hippies. yeah. Nazism Even and like esoteric stuff and wellness, yes, mm. for sure. Yeah, and yeah, there's a massive link between far right and that kind of stuff. Yeah, between yeah. the wellness kind of thing and that. Yeah, it's it's which is a lot of people would probably be surprised by, but once you start looking into it, you're like, wow, I can't believe how strongly linked these things are. Well, and I think a lot of it boils down to what we were discussing earlier before we actually got on the call, which was mm. um this article by was it Bridget Delaney on The Guardian and it's called Evil Forces How COVID-19 Paranoia United the Wellness Conspiracy and Right-Wing Conspiracy Theorists. Now, this is a yeah. great article and I would have a look at it for sure. Um, and we'll post some links to a lot of the things we've kind of been reading, which we can't yes. go into all of it right now because it's huge, huge. Yeah, it's unless you want like some kind of 10-hour episode and we have to quit <laughs> our jobs. <it's, laughs> we're not going to. Yeah, so we'll give you a brief overview of some of this stuff and then we'll post the links in the um, uh, episode description. So then that way you can you can read and look into things yourself. Yeah, so uh, the kind of through line here is kind of this bit that she says 
Down the rabbit hole, listening to dozens of wellness podcasts and YouTube broadcasts, the same themes keep arising. Fear is a means of social control. Fear is a hormone response that weakens the immune system. How social distancing and intensified hygiene practices ruin the body's natural immune response. The unhealthy body, the body with pre-existing conditions, being a body that is more reliant on and easily controlled by the state and big pharma. People are right to fear big pharma. Not fear, but be suspicious of. Of course, that's healthy, but um, deeply embedded and perhaps central in the connection between our wellness industry and conspiracy is the notion of sovereignty over our bodies. For believers, the sovereign body is the body in a pure state, not reliant on chemicals to heal and trusted to fire up its own immune response when confronted with the virus, even a novel one like COVID-19. Okay. Um, and believers mm-hmm. aren't dissuaded by the facts. All of the pure bodies that died because there wasn't a smallpox or polio or chickenpox vaccine. For many in the wellness industry, a pure body is their life's work. Now, what does that sound like to you, Chloe? <laughs> that sounds like some uh, eugenics bullshit, doesn't it? That sounds That's, like some uh, real That sounds Nazi like kind pure of, blood kind yeah, of Nazi Aryan, Aryan bullshit mm, to me. Yeah. Um, so when we put it yeah. that way, alarm bells. Yeah, there should be alarm bells, and it's no surprise that people like the Australian chef, who have gone from, you know, being loud and banging their drum about wellness to being full blown Nazis, it's not surprising, and we see yeah. it over and over and over and over again because it's this, yeah. and, and you know, it's ableism as well, of course, absolutely. It's like resentfulness. Um, if you are some, like there are people who are uh, disabled or chronically ill themselves and believe this kind of stuff because it is essentially, it, it is on the very base level internalized ableism. You mm. know, it's resenting their own body for being not what they want it to be. But yeah, I, I my first thought is absolutely eugenics um, and that sort of thing, like breeding out things that they don't think are good and disability mm-hmm. is one of them and so it's uh, it's just awful yeah if you look into the history of this kind of stuff um and we're sort mm. of going off on a tangent here and we'll put this article in the show notes as well there's yes. a really good article called nazi hippies when the new age and far right overlap and this one really blew my mind mm. i joe was more familiar with it than what i was and i as soon as we got on this call i was just like joe what the fuck <laughs> Um, I sort of picked this stuff off uh, a bit off um, uh, Tom Tanaki that does the Pork and Feed Mm. the Birds podcast. Um, I believe he just did a maybe a um, Melbourne Fringe show about this kind of stuff, but it's really interesting. Um, So Nazis are really into ley lines, dousing and divining, really into astrology. Um, Really into astrology. That really really surprised me. Parapsychology, yeah. wholeness, holism, whole earth, eco-fascism kind of stuff. So mm. Hitler, Hess, Himmler, and many other leading Nazis were also into alternative medicine, organic and vegetarian diets. Hitler was famously a vegetarian, but I'm not, you yes. know. Uh, homeopathy, anti-vaxxing, and natural healing. Hess, the deputy Führer, opened a center for alternative medicine practices in Dresden in 1934. Himmler, meanwhile, supported alternative medicines such as using plant act extracts to heal cancer and author- authorized mm. experiments on prisoners in concentration camps for this research. Interesting. Mm. That uh, the um, using plant extracts to heal cancer sounds, you know, word for word, exactly what I just watched in the, that essential oils episode. 
you know, yeah. like the overlap of so much of this thinking is scary, scary, like really full on. Like, well, because just, you read wellness, it and you're like, wow, that makes sense. Yes. And well, it's yeah. because wellness uh, industry and this kind of thing and gurus, let's say, mm. thrive in this environment of fear and control. And that's yeah. fascism. I think it's a totally normal thing for you know, so much of our community to be fearful because every day is something new with our chronic illness and that kind of thing. It's so, scary. It's so scary. It is Your really body just doing scary. stuff and you don't know why. You don't know how to fix yeah. it. Like and you wake up and take go, back what the that fuck? Control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's like I don't blame absolutely anyone that goes into these sort of situations desperate for a quick fix because mm. God knows I have and God knows most of us have mm. um, because we do get desperate and we're very fearful and we don't want to be in pain all the time, you know. It, mm-hmm. it kind of sucks. Yep. <laughs> My biggest advice with this kind of stuff is, like you said, if you need to try some stuff to add to your management regime, totally do it. If it give it a go, if it doesn't work for you, then stop it. Don't um, spend millions wit- of dollars on something. Yeah, though, like- keep your wits about you. Don't believe anyone that gives you a quick fix. Ask uh, your community cure or anything. Get in and touch ask with your community. community. Mm. Yeah. So just let's all band together and help each other. You know, navigate this together because it is, who boy, and tough. as um. Australia's premier illness podcast that loves police. Mm. <laughs> I love that your description changes of what we um, Please, let's put these people in jail. <laughs> yeah. I love that, like, the amount of times that we've been like, this is an ACAB podcast. It's a Blue also- Lives Matter podcast. It's This is yeah, but everyone that we talk about belongs in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just start a different kind of jail. Yeah, we uh, we'll rethink, we'll do prison reform. Oh and wait, then we'll no, just no, no, put no, them no. All in jail. Okay, so let's put. Okay, so let's turn our disgusting offshore prisons for asylum mm. seekers into, <gasps> into a wellness retreat for them, <laughs> and then they can just go and do all of their things and not be not have any. No, effect. no, 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 no. To a to like weed farms, and then we mm. send. It's like a it's like a marijuana gulag that we send like Pete Evans to 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 okay. it's not really, work on. Yeah, he can just work on the um weed farm and then when it all becomes legal in Australia we just get it from the island. We've got it there ready. Yep. Yeah. It's that not sounds a good great. idea. Yeah, that sounds like a good one. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with that. I'm thinking Can't you see? have dedicated most of this episode to talking about shitty 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 people quacks shitty cures uh bullshit here is our much loved recurring segment quack watch hold for theme quack watch okay that's it now all right (laughs) (laughs) that's enough over to you chloe what do you have for me this week okay 
All right. So basically, uh, to give you a, a quick rundown of my messy, messy life at the moment, mm-hmm. um, I am currently staying with my parents in South Australia. Um, eating all the fritz I've, you can fit in your mouth. Yeah, eating all the uh, fritz and cabana. Uh, yeah, delicious. Love that for me. Um, processed meats. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm staying with my parents at the moment. Uh, recently went through a breakup. So I'm yeah staying with my parents in SA. And they've decided that now is a really, really good time to redo the entire house. Mm. And so I was moving a bookcase the other day and to move it, I had to get all these books out and all of that kind of thing. That seems like a good thing for you with to do with fibromyalgia, moving yeah. bookcases. <laughs> Yeah, my, I feel like my parents were like, come and stay with us for a bit and have a like a mental rest to, you know, deal with all of the things that are going on in your life. And then they're just like, and also we're going to do all of this. Like literally right now I'm having to enter the house by climbing in and out of my bedroom window because they're <laughs> sealing the slate. So uh, that's one taking me back to like I've regressed to 16 years of age, like sneaking in and out of my window. But anyway, when I was moving this bookcase, I found this book that my uh, both my mum and my sister have rheumatoid arthritis, right? Mm. And someone has given my mother this book and I brought it into her and went, what is this? And she went, oh, so-and-so gave it to me. I, I haven't read it. And I'm just like, I think it's good that you haven't read it because this book is titled How to Get Rid of Arthritis and Rheumatism. Mm. And then underneath in big, bold writing, it says, The Conspiracy of Silence is Finally Over. Is it? So... (laughs) Yeah. So uh, apparently arthritis is a conspiracy. Oh, arthritis is a conspiracy, not Or how to treat... Yes. (laughs) So obviously, me being me, I was like, well, I want to know what the conspiracy of silence is, so I'm going to flick through this book and see what I learn. Firstly, what I'll start off with is uh, the description of fibromyalgia, seeing as we, both Joe and I have it, and we, you know. We love it. uh, We love it. We really do love it. (laughs) It says, um, once a firm diagnosis of fibromyalgia has been made, assuming it is positive, which I find very interesting because... Mm. I don't know how they're testing. What are they, What is it? How do you test positive for it's uh, anyway? People just poke um, you and they go, yeah, we, yeah, you've got yeah, fibro. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> Reckon so. So it, uh, once it, assuming it has been positive, there are a number of, of options available for diminishing pain. So are you ready for this list? Yes, please. Please. Mm. So hot and cold applications, use ice packs or hot compressors, whichever works best for you. Um, Apply compressors of clay and linseed. What? Yeah. Don't know about, uh, don't know what's going on there. Mm. Massage. Yeah, sure. sure. I agree with that one. Uh, yoga, of course. Oh, fuck. Um, no. When? Yeah. Oh. But... <laughs> wait, wait, wait till you hear about this one. Herbal therapy. Body rubs with tincture of rosemary and viburnum, mm. which. I thought that was the thing in Black Panther that they mined and were caught in the condor, <laughs> but that's fine. Now, the other the other thing that I uh, wanted to read out is that at the end of this book, there's a list, um, and this list is titled 44 Foods and Beverages That You Should Avoid at All Costs. Chloe, are there 44 food and beverages in the world? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This, um, yeah, this book is um, pretty... Like, one of the things on this list is uh, soup stock, like meat-based soup, soup stock, which is the thing that Pete Evans, 
like bone, a broth. bone broth, which is the thing that Pete Evans reckons will cure you of everything. So, honestly, yeah. these people are just they're making this up as they does go it along, say White Claw. It does not. It hasn't listed white claw on it, surprisingly. Oh. But um, apparently things that you should avoid are vegetables rich in uh, this indescribable, I don't know how to say this word, acid, including asparagus, mushrooms, spinach, gooseberries and tomatoes. That's all I eat so, except for gooseberries. I mean, all I eat is gooseberries. <laughs> I love gooseberries. Um, yeah, spinach apparently does... It's I know I know I don't I don't know. Why don't they just name all the delicious vegetables? Um, seafood and shellfish. Oh no! Don't know. I'm not sure what the how issue I, is with those. How am I supposed to get horny without eating oysters? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I can do it. It's the only way. Um, but you can't eat game meat or fat meat either, which includes lamb, beef, mutton, or pork. Well, I don't so eat any of basically, that. Basically. All you can eat meat-wise apparently is chicken, I think. Oh, that's okay. Well, see, I... But but you can't eat anything, like, you can't eat any dairy products. You can't eat half, like, 90% of vegetables. You can't eat any seafood. So what? I'm just like... But, okay, so my favourite thing about this list, right, is the first thing on it. The first thing on this list, Mm -hmm. 44 foods and beverages you should avoid at all cost is alcohol, which, you know, we've all been told this by doctors, right? They're just like, well, you know, cut out alcohol and see how you go. You know, so it works for some people, doesn't work for others. But my favourite thing about this is that it goes alcohol, comma, except wine. What? (laughs) So apparently apparently wine's fine. Why? Um, Why Does it explain why? But it says it's an antioxidant, but, like, so are blueberries. Bitch, like it gooseberries just, it probably are too. Gooseberries, right? yeah. <laughs> I don't. I'm so confused. It just. I feel like some blokes written this and just gone. Yeah, well, alcohol makes sense. They should cut down on alcohol, but wine's quite delicious. So, what am I going to do with my mm. big cellar of wine that I have? As a I rich, know. I'm such a rich <laughs> doctor with all my dusty Pinot all my Yeah. <laughs> I have spent thousands of dollars on this cellar and I have to drink it somehow. So, yeah, I've just, that blew me away. Um, mm. And the last, the last little bit of this quack watch that I, uh, I want to read out is called Dr. Nershel's Amazing Technique. Mm. Are you ready for this? I'm ready this for the famous to... Dr. Nershel who I've heard so much the about. Famous, <laughs> the famous Dr. Nershel who we all know and love. Um <laughs> So this is to get rid of uh, cramps and spasms, apparently, which I don't know about you, but I have spasms really regularly. It's a real Mm. regular part of my fibro. Um, So uh, this Georgetown University, uh, Dr. Robert Nershaw, recommends the following method of getting rid of cramps and spasms. Pinch your upper lip with your thumb and forefinger. What? Why? (laughs) So do that. Upper lip, babe. Uh, Oh, upper lip. Sorry, I grabbed the wrong one. Yeah. So apparently, if you do that, yeah. that'll relieve all of your spasms. I can just feel a How bunch. How bizarre of, is that? I can just feel a bunch of lip filler. That's it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Needs more. <laughs> yeah, but he reckons the upper lip may be a point for eliminating pain. So if you just pinch your lip, your spasm will go away. Yeah, stick a, stick a duck feather up your ass. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just wave your ass about and then the full moon will cure you. From pollywogs come great big frogs, we'll never know quite how. It's easier to turn a bee into a purple cow. So hark ye witches, now pay heed. Reverse this spell with haste and speed. With no regrets, man into toad, he'll hop the straight and narrow road. Do you just want to just quickly say what a spoonie is? Because I actually realise we've never explained this and you wrote an article about it if you want to summarize it real quick absolutely so basically uh this all is um comes down to a theory that i think uh like an essay that was written i think in 2003 um by a woman called christine miserandino um and it's called the spoon the spoon theory so basically um to summarize it really really quickly um christine has uh lupus And so she was sitting in a diner one day with her friend who was able-bodied and didn't really understand Christine's uh, fatigue levels and why she was, you know, cancelling plans at the last minute and all of that kind of thing. So what Christine did was grab the nearest thing to her, which in a diner was, of course, the cutlery that was sitting on the table. Um, So the jar that was like, it was filled with spoons. And she sort of picked them up and sort of said to her friends that her friend, like, she's like, you have unlimited spoons Throughout the day, you don't have to think about how much energy each thing that you do is costing you. But I have, say, this many spoons, and I, th- I think she said it. I think she said that it was about twelve. Mm. She's like, if I have this many spoons, then you know, in the morning, it's uh, getting out of bed and showering. That might be one spoon for me. Um, eating breakfast, making and eating breakfast is another spoon for me. Commuting to work, that's another spoon for me. And she sort of went throughout her day and explained how much energy went into this by relating it to each spoon. Mm. And then when she got to the last one, she's like, right, so I've gotten home from work, I've my day's finished and that kind of stuff. I can either shower or I can eat, but I've only got one spoon left, so I can only do one. Yeah. And I think basically because that theory helped her friend explain, like helped her friend understand – uh, you know, the varying spoon levels and how if we borrow spoons from the following day, we'll have less the next day and how we have to constantly be thinking about this kind of stuff and that kind of thing. It became, it really resonated with a lot of people in the community. And I think it has evolved over time. Some people have um, added to it or changed it and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the term spoony sort of ended up becoming a big, big thing. Um, and people, a lot of people with chronic illness have like uh, spoon tattoos and all sorts of things like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of people will call each other spoonies. Yeah. I mean, I don't love it. I'm mm. on record as that. Yeah, some people don't. I don't, yeah, I don't love people... it, but it's, it's, it's easy thing to sort of use, I guess. And it's just yeah. refers to energy rationing. So you could, you know, replace that with any sort of like power bars yeah. or whatever, whatever. Yeah. I like thought battery we... and that kind of thing. Exactly. It's, it is. Sometimes it's one of those things that, like, even if you don't love it, like, it's an easy thing that you can fall back on if you're up against trying to explain energy rationing to someone who just does not get it. Yeah, and it's one of those sort of of stuff. Yeah, it's just one of those really sort of simplified thing that you know, if you need to make someone understand, that's something you can kind of rely on quite easily. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it makes you think about your own pacing and that kind of stuff, which is really important Mm -hmm. too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, regardless of that, um, so that's where the name Spoonie Hotline has its origin, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and when we say that, that's what we're referring to. But um, yes. if you would like to tell us a little story 
Um, what you need to do is if you have an iPhone, there's probably a voice memos uh, app on there. Mm -hmm. So just get that up, talk into it. There's three sort of dots at the bottom and then you just select your email and send it off to us. Um, There's probably a bunch of different ways to do it, but that's probably the easiest. Um, And get in touch with us if you'd like to do one and you need assistance, we will be happy to help. Yeah, if there's any accessibility things that uh, you particularly need to help um, have your voice featured on uh, Sprinty Hotline, then please just reach out to us in whatever way is best for you um, because, yeah, we'll, we're happy to adapt the way that we do this to, to suit you so we can uh, share as many voices as possible. Yeah, and we'd love to do a Spoonie Hotline um, holiday sh- special at the end of the year just talking about yes. how 2020 has been for you as a sick person. Yeah. So we want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly because there's some Spoonies that I've spoken to that have been like, this year has not changed at all for me. I've, you know, my life's been exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And then there's others who have been like, this has been the worst year of my life. And there's others who have been like, I got to work from home and it's actually been really great and beneficial to me. So, you know, it's been this very sort of strange year for us and we want to hear as many stories as possible about what 2020 has been like for you, the Mm. chronically ill community. Our first Spoonie Hotline for this episode is from Arushi, um, who is all the way from India. Mm -hmm. This is Arushi sending lots of love to everybody in Australia all the way from India. I am a fibromyalgia warrior, a patient advocate, a published poet, a marketing and branding strategist, and an animal lover. At the age of 22, somewhere in 2012, I started developing aches and pains and symptoms of fibromyalgia. And since then, I have not spent a single day without pain. Due to excruciating pain, I cannot sit, I can barely stand, um, not more than 15 minutes, and I'm forced to spend my life confined to my bed. And yes, you heard it right, I said I cannot sit. I have not sat in nine years, and that's the life I live. To support my weak muscles, I tie about 13 to 15 crepe bandages, ace bandages as you call them, all over my body. Fibromyalgia pretty much left me disabled, both physically and also emotionally. While fibromyalgia did turn my life upside down, over the past nine years, I have somehow made peace with my current situation and have in fact found ways to find happiness um, in what I have. And a huge gift that knowingly, unknowingly fibromyalgia has given me has been the gift of poetry, the gift of discovering the poetry in me. In spite of being the destroyer, surprisingly, you are also my teacher. Opened my eyes to reality, brought me so much clarity. Separated the fair weather friends who come and go like trends. Sometimes strangers stand tall, even when close relations fall. In spite of my clipped wings, found happiness in the smallest things. So much still to appreciate. 
daily victories to celebrate. You gave me anguish, but you also gave me the strength to vanquish. Monster F, you heartless creature, never thought would call you my teacher. I have been using poetry on Instagram and have dedicated my account to spread more awareness about fibromyalgia, showcase my journey um, in order to remove the entire taboo that surrounds anybody living with a chronic illness. You can find me at the rate Arushi Lohia, which is A-R-U-S-H-I-L-O-H-I-Y-A. I'm sure Chloe and Joanne would give you a link to the page as well. And uh, my aim is to talk very vocally about uh, living with chronic illness and, you know, uh, remove the stigma and isolation that people with illness face, especially in a country like mine. Um, India, we are all trained from a very early age to hide all our vulnerabilities and never show our weak sides. So talking about something like this openly, particularly for a girl, on a social platform is a complete no-no in my country. Especially when awareness is so low, doctors uh, forget common people. Even doctors don't understand and don't um, accept fibromyalgia as an illness most of the times because they just don't know. So my fight is not only to fight the physical pain that I go through, but also to change the society for so many others who don't have the ability to raise their voices. And I am so glad that Chloe and Joanne are um, doing the same out there in Australia. And it's been such a pleasure to connect with you guys. And um, I hope to have many more conversations and discuss many such issues uh, around chronic illness um, that, you know, somehow are pretty much the same across the globe. Lots of love again to you guys. Talk to you soon. That was so, so lovely. I um, I really, really do identify with the whole, um, the, the concept of um, even though fibromyalgia can just be just such a horrible bitch you sort of end up finding um, a lot of uh, creative things inside of you like um, I've done a lot of uh, writing since I became chronically ill and about chronic illness and that kind of thing so I very much identify with that thank you for that that was really 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 beautiful Um, and it's interesting but not surprising Arushi to hear that doctors in India you know the same <laughs> with yeah. fibro and stuff. It just seems like a really, yeah, across the globe kind of experience, doesn't it? That they, you know, they just don't take us seriously. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that you're like, it's disappointing to hear, but it's not surprising. So solidarity, Roshi, we, we know how you feel. Yes. And good on you for um, standing up and making your voice heard and advocating on behalf of others. We love it. So on to our next caller. And this is the beautiful Sandy. Hi, Siko Hotline. Um, My name's Sandy. I'm calling from Perth in um, WA on Wadjuk country. Um, I'm 30 and I have a brainstem cavernoma. And I just thought I'd call up and tell you a bit about it and that kind of thing. So a brainstem cavernoma is um, a malformation of blood vessels in my brainstem. 
So it's about the size and the shape of a mulberry. Cavernomas um, are actually really common. So about, they say one in 600 people have them either in their brainstem or the like main part of your brain. But they very rarely bleed. Um, so most people only find out about them incidentally, like if they have an MRI for a different reason. But um, the one I have is a bleeder. Um, so when it bleeds, um, it's a hemorrhage that is essentially a stroke. Um, but unlike how you would think of a regular stroke, it's quite slow. Um, so yeah, people think of a regular stroke as like a sudden loss of movement on one side, um, and yeah, a sudden incapacitation. Whereas, um, for me, the strokes, they come on over about a week or a week and a half with a gradual kind of increase in symptoms. Um, luckily, what that means is because it is happening slowly, the damage happens more slowly and so you're more able to recover, generally speaking, than say with um, a regular stroke. So I've had... Um, four hemorrhages in the last three and a bit years um, and the symptoms are similar to other strokes because mine is in the brain stem it's really close to all those like important nerves that affect lots of important things um, so yeah it's a bit of a pick and mix with what symptoms with what stroke but um, like I've had um, loss of vision, um, loss of like swallowing, um, being unable to walk due to like, like, um, numb or frozen limbs and also from vertigo, um, nerve pain, numbness, nausea and extreme fatigue following the strokes. Um, there's not much they can do about it. Um, there's no sort of medicine or anything. In some cases, they can do surgery to like a resection. But um, in my case, that's unlikely because it's in the brainstem. It's such a delicate area that going in would probably cause more damage than leaving it. Um, this year, some research came out linking cavernomas to um, certain gut bacteria in people. Um, which is the first time that a neurological illness has been linked to the gut. Um, but obviously, as you can imagine, that's quite scientifically exciting. But even though this isn't the case, it has led to all sorts of crackpot theories and cures about like eating yogurt and goji berries or whatever to try and alter your gut gut bacteria and like cure yourself but that's not the case and even in the paper they were very specifically like don't start eating yogurt that's not going to cure you like eat yogurt if you like it but it's not the cure um it's like more complex than that so um yeah that's brainstem cavernomas um so I guess it affects my life in a kind of weird way because um, say like a year for me is demarcated into um, regular life where 
I can exist as essentially an able-bodied person versus months of my life after a stroke where I'm almost entirely incapacitated. So generally um, it takes between like two and four months for me to um, recover a little bit from the stroke. So I'll spend two to four months pretty much bedridden and then slowly from there start to be able to walk around and do other things while still having like really significant fatigue and then um yeah usually within six months like I can go back to a fairly kind of able-bodied existence um so yeah it feels like I'm living kind of on one end of a would you rather scenario where it's like would you rather have ongoing chronic health illnesses consistently or spend half the year in bed but the other half pretty much fine um yeah (laughs) that being said the more strokes I have the less able I am to recover and the more ongoing symptoms that I have so I now have pretty significant fatigue um even though I'm uh, recovered and um I also have a lot more micro bleeds which the neurologist explained to me as um kind of like oozes out of the cavernoma that have a spike in the stroke symptoms but not a full stroke so I'll have a micro bleed and then like a week of those symptoms I said before um, but maybe a bit milder and then back to normal Um, but the fucked thing is that the micro bleeds feel like the start of a stroke the week leading up to a stroke so once or twice a month when I have the micro bleeds it's always like oh am I having stroke now like we'll find out in 10 days whether I can get out of bed or not um so yeah that's really hard to deal with because it like I'm always worrying that I'm about to have another stroke um the other really hard part is that my girlfriend has had to be my carer and um yeah it's really hard to see burden placed on her um she's only 26 we've been together for four years um and you know she is so gutsy and amazing but it's really hard for her because none of her friends understand what it is to be a carer um they'll compare it to like their boyfriends being sick with the cold and being like oh I had to make him cups of tea every day and like do all of the dishes and you know it's not the same thing um my mum is like her number one fan (laughs) she just thinks she's amazing that um she has been able to deal with this um so well and she is but it's just really hard having to have that dynamic in our relationship it's not really what I imagined um yeah um, I guess the other last thing I did want to share was um, <clears throat> I sometimes I hear people say, usually able-bodied people say, oh, well, you have a chronic health condition, but at least it's not cancer. And um, I actually had blood cancer in my early 20s. And um, my experience was that having cancer was a lot easier for me than having ongoing chronic health conditions. Um, 
and like a few reasons. The type of cancer that I had, like I did nine months of chemo and radio and then I went into remission and the doctors said, yep, very unlikely that this will come back in your case. You have a few little residual health issues, but pretty much move on with your life. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Um, and like have some checkups, but yeah, go back to being you know yourself. And so it was just like an aberration on an otherwise healthy body. And there was also so much support. So I, all my cancer treatments were through the public health system. Um, I could get transport to and from the hospital whenever I wanted. I had access to a psychologist, a counsellor, an OT, a um, physical therapist, a career counsellor. Um, also, they had like little support groups. They even had makeup ladies that would come around and give you makeup and give you makeovers. They had volunteers that would come around and give you hand massages while you were getting chemo. Like it was literally so many bells and whistles and so much money and funding and volunteers um, supporting people with cancer, which obviously is all very um, good, like, you know, it's great when you have cancer and you have all those things, but I compare it to what a lot of chronic illnesses get and it's, you know, like chronic illnesses get fuck all compared to that. I also think there's this idea of the deserving sick. Like, yeah, as I said, people think of a, um, a of cancer as an aberration on an otherwise healthy body. Um, you didn't do anything to deserve it. You can get cured and then get back to being a productive member of society. Whereas chronic illnesses aren't like that. You have it and it just keeps on going, keeps on going, and in a lot of times just keeps getting worse. Um, yeah, so for me, I found having a chronic illness way, way harder than the year that I spent with cancer. So, yeah, if anyone says that to you, you can just tell them to fuck off because, yeah, it's not true at all. Anyway, um thanks so much for doing the podcast and having the group it's been really good to find like other young people who are youngish people who are (laughs) dealing with health issues like this um it's also really helped me to think about my um, my internalized ableism and kind of come to terms with how I think about my body and how I think about the world so that's been really good thanks heaps everyone bye Sandy. Oh my God, Sandy. Holy shit. That was so illuminating. And like, we were just like cackling at bits and also just like enthusiastically nodding at other bits. Like, oh so much gosh, talk was... about berries in this episode. Yeah. Why have we mentioned berries so much this episode? <laughs> this is very weird. Um, yeah. So, firstly, my initial thing that I was just like vigorously shaking my head at is. Um, uh, you talking about the difficulties of um, being in a relationship when chronic illness kind of affects your relationship. And as I said, I've just been through a breakup and it was kind of made clear to me in the breakup that my health was one of the reasons that uh, they could no longer continue in the relationship, which is 
absolutely awful to hear and it's mm. you're right it does it is so difficult and it does affect the person you're in a relationship with and you navigating that it's not like there's a handbook on mm. how to navigate this kind of shit so like yeah it's i empathize and solidarity and all of that because it is it is not easy like navigating relationships with chronic illness i do want to say here though big ups to your missus what a legend she sounds amazing but that said though i know it's a different thing but everyone has their baggage right oh totally yeah yeah for real chronic illness is my baggage Mm. crippling emotional problems may be someone else's baggage. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like totally. Like everyone, no one walks into a relationship with everything clear and being this perfect, like angel specimen kind of thing. Like every, like there's always things that you have to navigate in a relationship that, you know, someone else has that, mm. or you know, lives with or deals with or whatever. Yeah. And obviously we have to talk about Sandy cr- being chronically ill is, easier uh, sorry is harder than having cancer oh my gosh that blew my mind shit but of course it is of course it is yeah to an extent because they can put a label on it and go this is cancer this is how you treat it whereas like yeah they can barely give us a label do you know what i mean it totally makes sense as well like all of the funding that cancer and different cancers have as opposed to the like severe lack of fu- uh, funding that for chron- stuff like well for instance chronic yeah. fatigue versus breast cancer i've worked in the breast totally. cancer space before and it's it's the most mm. well funded thing there is basically yeah um when totally. she was saying uh a lot of what she said actually fits quite well into what we were discussing earlier where where cancer is seen as an aberration on an otherwise healthy body mm-hmm. that phrase kind of re- resonated with what we were talking about in the wellness space earlier. Um, totally. The pure, uh, yeah. pure body stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and also the deserving sick or whatever she was saying. Like, Yeah, that was really fa- – I've never th- really sort of like thought about it like that before. Mm. That is absolutely so true. Like, well, the reason why – A lot of people why... with chronic illness is like seen as, you know, a drain on society, whether, whereas like cancer and stuff like that is just like – oh, it's this little thing put on a healthy person mm. and then it, you know, eventually is taken off the healthy person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, that, well, that's put it into a way that I've never thought about before. I think that's why people got so angry at, was it Belle Gibson saying mm, she could treat cancer, cancer. Um, yeah. and not other people with their mm. wacky cures because cancer is the deserving sick. Totally. In, in, yeah. the, in the context that we're talking about and this is sort of a bit. Totally. Yeah. Um, but it yeah, must yeah. blow people's minds that are listening from other countries that our public health system gives uh, makeovers and hand massages and transport and work career guidance to people with cancer as a part totally. of their healthy uh, public health system. <laughs> that is like that blew my mind completely. Yeah. I'm like, like far out. That is that's I'm obviously like we've gone through public health system stuff with chronic illness kind mm. of thing, and it was just like run on the smell of an oily rag yep. and you know i was I a year to see a rheumatologist to poke you for 10 minutes and then say you've got this we can't really do a lot about it bye yeah or to say well don't know bye that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
gotcha. You know, yeah. that's that's about it. At least so, yeah, back no, in that, the old that days. really blew my mind. At least back in the old days, they made the effort to um, trep in your skull or whatever, you, like drill a hole in your mm. skull or put some leeches on you. Yeah. We don't get any of that kind of attention give, these give days. Give me some cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> give me some cocaine. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. You've got ghosts they don't, they in don't your give blood. Me co- <laughs> yeah. They don't give you cocaine anymore for the ghosts in your blood, and that is a travesty in my opinion. Please get the ghosts out of my blood. Yeah, it would have done absolutely so much more for me than, you know, Cymbalta, so. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Anyway, um, that was a fantastic call, and I know some of these can be quite long. I I don't like cutting them down because our listeners in these calls – they're so um, eloquent and intelligent, and I think it's because they have to self-advocate for their illness all the time. Yeah. We were discussing this before that it's like so many of the the voice messages that we get are so like, um, yeah, so eloquent because as sick people um, that have been let down by the medical industry so often, like we have to learn how to articulate our illnesses in such a like firm and articulate way Mm -hmm. and like we have to have we have to walk into every single doctor's office armed with so much knowledge to back ourselves up mm-hmm. because if we don't, we're not taken seriously mm-hmm. and we end up being completely fucked around. So we have to be this level of, you know, eloquent about when we speak about our illness because we that's what we've trained ourselves to be. And I sort of, yeah, yeah. It really sort of. When we started doing this, it really blew my mind at first. I was just like, wow, we are all so, like, smart and amazing. And then I was just like, of course we're smart and amazing. Like, we've had to do all this research ourselves. Like, we're fucking resilient, you know? Like, we're amazing. Really evident Um, in Sandy this week and particularly um, the last episode in um, Sean and Bella as well. And the trauma that that they've had to go through to be able to self-advocate in such an effective way, the the trauma that's shaped the way that they talk and – the way that we yeah. all have to talk and be firm but diplomatic, let's say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we don't hurt any any uh, doctors' egos, mm. but you mm-hmm. know, it's, it is a very fine line. But we are, yeah. Well, episode nine done and dusted, mate. We have to get those butt tattoos we were talking about for episode ten. Hell yeah! Well, we're going to be together, so who knows what will happen, baby. <laughs> We're going to have way too much wine and then end up with some kind of disgusting tattoo. Can't wait. Shit. Okay. We'll see you all soon. (laughs) See you all soon. Bye. Bye.